Hi, this is Pastor Bob Yandian. Today we are continuing on our series, The Anatomy of Revival. Today we're going to talk about Satan's resistance and Satan's war against revival. Now God can even take the opposition of Satan and cause it to turn around and work for your good. You ready to be blessed today? Let's be blessed. For more than 40 years, Bob Yandian has been an expositor of the Bible, making seemingly complicated doctrine easy to understand. Grab your Bible and study the Word of God with Bob Yandian. Hello and welcome again to Student of the Word with Pastor Bob Yandian. Why don't you find Acts chapter 19? We're going to start with verse 24 because we have been taking up for many lessons up until now the revival in Ephesus. I'm calling this the anatomy of revival, the study of how it begins, all this. Listen, if you've missed the broadcast up until now, you can find them archived on YouTube or uh, go to my own website and find out where you can watch these. And so again, this will be a great thing for you. But again, I don't have time to go back, but I do want to bring out the fact that we are taking up how revival starts, how it grows, multiplies, and then the end result of revival. And that's what we got into last time. The end result of revival is not more revival. People always say, I just like to live in a state of perpetual revival. Well, there's often chaos that comes during revival. Weird, some weird things happen and weird teaching comes in and false teachings come in. People try to take advantage of it. And, but the point of it is, although revival brings many souls to the Lord, we can't live in a perpetual state of revival. You can as an individual and your church can, but here's the point of it is revival has an end to it. Revival is a means to an end. And revival, the end result of revival is not more revival. The end result of revival is local churches. Where there was no local churches in the city of Ephesus, whenever this revival came and began to wane here toward the closing of chapter 24, Behind the scenes, churches have been set up and a city which had no churches, it did have a synagogue, but didn't have any churches. Now it's going to have the largest church in the known world at that time, numbering up from 70 to at times, some historians say, 100,000 people in the city of Ephesus attending the church, but the church met in homes everywhere. There was not a building large enough for it and literally shook that ancient city. And then also from that one church began six other churches known as the seven churches of Revelation one through three. In other words, one church started six others. Not only can believers uh, get other believers and, and lead others to the Lord, but also a church can start other churches. So while you're finding verse 24, let me simply say Paul did this with a team around him. It wasn't just Paul by himself. He started out with Aquila and Priscilla. Then Apollos joined them for a while, but after this, there's others who have joined with him and we found out their names so far, but Paul's going to have to leave here soon. And those he leaves behind are going to help with the churches because now the responsibility of winning souls has been turned over to churches. And so again, we come back to it. Jesus had to have a group around him. Paul had a group around him. Peter had a group around him. It comes back to it. No one can do it by themselves. God lays a vision on somebody. God lays leadership on somebody, but a leader has to have followers. And that's the same thing true with my ministry. I'm so grateful for those who become partners with me and have joined me and taken on the vision that I have, the responsibility given to me and say, we wanna stand on each side, lift up your hands as they did with Moses. Thank you so much to those who become partners with me. And if you'd like to become a partner, perhaps this is the first time you've been listening to this broadcast, watching it, then listen, hang on for a while. I trust God's gonna speak to you and you'll say, I wanna become part of Bob's ministry. I wanna join in with him. You see, a ministry is not just a building or, or videos or things like that, it's a person. And you're joining with my heart, understand, listen long enough to understand my heart and simply say, I like what he does. I agree with what he does. I want to become a partner with him. You don't partner with a ministry, you partner with a person. 
And I'm so glad that you have partnered with me. So if you'd like to become a partner with me, you've been watching for some time or maybe for a long time, and you've made up your mind to be a partner, or God spoke to you some time ago to become a partner, and you just keep putting it off, quit putting it off. Join me as a partner. Go to bobyandian.com. You'll find a place there where you can become a partner with me in this ministry, and I welcome you. Thank you so much for your help. Couldn't do it without you. If I can put a 1,000 to flight, you and me can put 10,000 to flight. This is what God is simply saying. Oh, the power of faith united together. Verse 24 says here, and here we have the riot that's going to break out in the city of Ephesus. The revival, before this time, the revival has spread everywhere. And, and when we have the seven sons of Sceva exposed, it said great fear fell on the city. And then in verse 20, all of a sudden, no longer did signs, wonders, and miracles keep growing. What happened? And all of a sudden, the word of God began to grow. We shift from signs, wonders, and miracles and all these demonstrations of the Holy Spirit now to the word of God, because the Holy Spirit always points to the word. And here we have it. His work was being done to simply point people to Jesus Christ to be born again. And then after that's going to come the word of God. But now in verse 20, the word of God began to grow and multiply. And for the word of God to grow, we have to have local churches. This is what's been working behind the scenes in chapter 19 that we'll find out about in verse 20. In verse 20, Paul meets with the pastors of the city. And believe me, there are hundreds of them. And so in verse 24, we find out that Satan has moved now instead of working in the general population with demonic witchcraft, things like that, he now moves to the business sector and incites them. And a man named Demetrius, who has the entire uh, organization underneath him, and uh, he has this uh, crafts union, and he's the head of the crafts union. He has a meeting, but not only just a meeting with the leadership. He, I mean, all the workers are going to be with him too. Literally, it's going to be one massive meeting, and thousands and thousands of people are involved in the silver uh, industry. And the silver industry was the leading highest profit uh, industry in the city of Ephesus. Huge profits came from this thing. As visitors came to the city, they would have sex in the temple and uh, they would leave the temple, leave after a business uh, conference, much like Las Vegas. They would have a business conference there. And as they leave, they want a remembrance of what happened. And they buy a silver statue of Diana. Maybe they bought a little one or a large one. And from every, uh, probably every convenience store up to the biggest department stores, they carried them all over the city. And the huge profits that came from this thing. And so Demetrius was the head of it. And again, he's the head of the crafts union in Ephesus. This huge, huge organization was made up again of silver miners, craftsmen, distributors, wholesalers, retailers, all those who handled the statues and delivered them. And in verse 25, it says, whom he called together along with the workmen. I mean, this is the employees of all these organizations of like occupation and said, sirs, you know that by this craft, we have our wealth. I want you to understand something here. We have large businesses and small businesses. And oftentimes people often say, well, you know, we, all we need is large businesses. No, these are small ones too. And understand something, small businesses cannot exist without large businesses. In fact, a lot of small businesses feed off large businesses. I mean, you go down to the corner down here and you go to a little uh, car parts store. Well, how does this car parts store get into being? It's because of General Motors and Ford and Chrysler and other ones, and they carry parts for all these. In other words, their business is made possible by 
by the huge businesses and the huge retailers here in Ephesus, the miners, the craftsmen, the distributors that went and also that led to the, the um, melting and smelting of the silver and then the molding of the statues. And then it went to the wholesalers, retailers and all those down the way from businesses large to businesses small. This town has been saturated with the wealth that comes from this. And now he calls all the workmen together and probably for the first time, the workmen have come and be in a meeting here with all the heads of the union, including the head himself, Demetrius. And notice what he says in verse 25. Sirs, you know by this craft, we have our wealth. This massive union meeting called by Demetrius told them their jobs, their incomes, their homes, their families were in jeopardy because of Paul's gospel. When a business of this size is in trouble, many smaller businesses whose existence depends on it is also jeopardized. When it's announced that sales are way off, layoffs, firings are going to occur, a riot's going to break out, and Paul will be blamed for the whole thing. Riots always have to have some person to blame, all right? And they find it in Paul. And they're going to lie about him. They're going to say he's preaching things he's not preaching. They're going to say his purpose was to overthrow Diana. His purpose was to bring in Jesus Christ, period. He didn't preach against Diana, didn't preach against their religion. He probably talked about religion, but he never mentioned them. He came in preaching the truth. It simply comes back to this. You don't have to target anybody specifically. Preach the truth. And the truth will target out those who are preaching the error. So again, in verse 26, now he says, moreover, you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but throughout all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people saying there are no gods which are made with hands. Paul is well known throughout all of Asia. To many, he has brought the message of salvation to others. He's the one that's broken the back of a thriving business, which employs tens of thousands of people. To them, Paul is responsible for an economic turndown in the city. Paul's teaching has turned away many people from idolatry, the worship of Diana to the teachings and the worship of Jesus. Instead of seeing this as a blessing to many people who've been in religious bondage for years and under sin's oppression, they take it personally because it's their income that's threatened and they now realize something also, I'm promoting sin. I'm promoting the worship of a false God. I'm actually promoting worship of Satan by looking at this business. And that's how they're looking at it. So Paul has faced this before with the owners of a girl possessed by a spirit of divination in chapter 16 and verse 19. When Paul first entered into Macedonia, a demon-possessed girl uh, went behind him saying, these are servants of the Most High God. But the owners of this girl, she was a, a slave girl and possessed by a demon, making a lot of money off of her. This demon was giving over the people words. In other words, seances and, and all the things that were going on. This girl was obsessed by it, taken by this demon. And Paul finally cast it out. And guess what? They blamed Paul for their lack of business, loss of business, loss of income. And he was thrown into a prison at that time. Verse 27 here goes on to say, so not only is this our craft in danger to be brought to nothing, but also the great temple of Diana. See here, they're going beyond, oh, it's not just us, this wonderful religion that the whole world worships. They're saying the whole Roman world understands. They all come here. They're not coming to worship Diana. They're coming for sex. And so they just equate the two together and they're simply saying, oh, in this wonderful religion and the wonderful worship of God through this thing, this is what's being threatened. And they're simply saying this, we're just little guys to this, Paul. He's out to destroy our whole religion. 
He's not only after Ephesus, he's after the whole Roman world. Can you see this thing has being exaggerated? Paul came there to preach, and when he got there, he started with the synagogue. Did he know all this was going to happen? Had no idea. He just found an openness in the synagogue. Then he discovered an openness in the city. He, for three years, has been preaching from the school of Tyrannus and, and signs and wonders, and now has seen the extent of this. And now Paul is coming to this great realization. This thing is huge. And we find out later it shook the entire Asian continent uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ. So it comes back to this. There's three parts to the worship of Diana. Number one was the priesthood. These men were eunuchs. They were castrated to keep them from participating in the worship so they could keep their mind on the stories and tell of the exploits of Jupiter and Bacchus. The virgins were number two. These girls handled the rituals of the temple, the forms of worship outside of sex were conducted by the virgins, but then there were the dancers. And these women danced to arouse the men and at the end of their dance gave themselves to the nearest man for sex. We can see how this thing appealed to so many people and there was always somebody wanting to have their conventions in the city of Ephesus for this reason. When we come back, we'll talk more about this and talk about the end result of how God quelled this whole thing supernaturally and brought down this great riot in the city of Ephesus. See you right after the break. At the dawn of the church age, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit and power to his followers. From Pentecost, they were led by his spirit to blaze a trail through the hazardous maze of pagan cultures and religious legalism. Like wildfire, the gospel spread through the known world, bringing salvation to a whole generation and triumph and trial to the church. In a New Testament commentary on Acts, Bob Yannian explores the exploits of those sent to uproot the binding vines of religion and philosophy and to sow the kingdom of God. Through evaluations of early congregations and detailed descriptions of their cities, Pastor Bob walks us through the exciting, perilous adventure of the early church. Order a New Testament commentary on Acts at bobyendian.com. Theology Simplified is a practical guide to foundational biblical truth. Basic doctrines are not difficult, but easy to understand. They often become disguised as complicated or deep-sounding words but the definitions are simple. Using straightforward vocabulary and down-to-earth examples, Pastor Bob makes complex theological concepts clear and practical. Eight crucial doctrines of the Christian faith are demystified. Redemption, justification, sanctification, reconciliation, predestination, election, propitiation, and glorification. These eight precepts essential for all believers to understand, come to light as you read and arrive at a deeper understanding of the finished work of Jesus Christ. To order Theology Simplified, visit our website at bobyandian.com. Bob Yandian Ministries is training up a new generation in the Word of God. Because of your generosity and faithfulness, this teaching ministry is able to change countless lives. You will never know until you get to heaven how many people received Jesus, were filled with the Holy Spirit, healed, or found God's will for their life through your support and prayers. If you would like to become a partner with Bob Yandian, visit our website at bobyandian.com and click on Partnership. Hello and welcome again. Welcome back to Student of the Word with Pastor Bob Yandian. So glad to have you here. We've been a number, a number of lessons on the anatomy of revival. And we're taking this out of Acts chapter 
18, the close of the chapter, all of Acts chapter 19, and from here on, we're going to be heading into chapter 20, talking about the end result of revival, which is churches. The end result of revival is not more revival. You can't live in perpetual revival. Revival is something that has an end to it, and then it brings you to a whole new phase. The end result of revival is local churches, to where now the signs and wonders and miracles done by the prophets, the apostles, the, the evangelists, those who come to town, is now turned over to the the general population of the church, to where now people in the church can understand, I've got these same powers, the same uh, you know trust that God had in Paul and, and Peter and these other ones that came to our town, he has in me too. And as a believer, I can lay hands on the sick and see them recover with the result of the same reason why revival came to Ephesus to get people saved. It's part of your witness to the world. The, it, Jesus said, you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit's come upon you to be my witnesses. And so the purpose of signs, wonders, and miracles is to accompany the preaching of the word of God. And so not only do we go into all the world and preach the gospel, but we lay hands on the sick and see them recover. We cast out devils. All this is to help win people to the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, turn with me. Let's take a look at Acts chapter 19, verse 28. And if you're joining us for the first time today, welcome. Glad to have you here today. You're kind of jumping in here in the middle of a teaching, so hang on. You'll be blessed by it. And then later on, you can go back and find copies of this and find archives of this on YouTube and some other channels too, and you can be blessed by it there, okay? Verse 28 says this. The riot that's about to take off is now in a meeting. And in this meeting, Demetrius, the silversmith, is meeting with the entire union of those that make silver statues of Diana and spreading the fact that Paul is the one that's caused our business to go down. Because of him coming and preaching against Diana, which he's not, again, he, they said that all of a sudden now people have turned from Diana to worship this God and now our sales are so down, we're gonna have to have layoffs, or we might even have to close the plants down, all of this, and got the men so angry they're going to go out in the streets. They're going to start looking for Paul to kill him. So every riot has to have a slogan. Look, we'll be here at verse 28. And when they heard these sayings, they were full of wrath and they cried out or shouted saying, great is Diana of the Ephesians. You know, we have so many of them today, all so many mantras that when people get the streets, start yelling something. And it's again, four or five words. They say, yell them over and over and over again. And it tries to take the entire thing and wrap it into one simple phrase. But you know what? They didn't understand what they were doing. They just ran out of the streets. They started yelling, great is Diana of the Ephesians. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. You know what? People in town knew that. They knew that, you know, Diana was there. Although the people now turning to the Lord Jesus Christ, they weren't saying things that people already that didn't accept Jesus didn't already know. And they're building this thing up to where people go, yeah, well, she is. Well, we're being threatened now. Again, every riot has a slogan or a mantra. The anger and emotion from this will spread to those from those few men into the crowds of the streets. Demetrius knew exactly what he was doing. He would get the people senseless with rage, possibly kill Paul or eventually drive him out of the city. In verse 29, it says, and the whole city was filled with confusion. This is what happens around a riot. People run out there yelling the mantras, but they're at the same time don't even know why they're there. And that's going to happen in this one. And the whole city was filled with confusion and having caught Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, 
Paul's companions in travel, they rushed with one accord into the amphitheater. They ran and got these two men out of their homes. Gaius and Aristarchus grabbed them and ran into the amphitheater, a place large enough to hold a huge group of people for a riot and then probably kill them in front of everybody or use them to attract Paul in there. Apparently, Demetrius took the crowd to the house of Aquila and Priscilla where Paul was staying, and they were protecting Paul and wouldn't let the crowd have him. This was found in Romans 16, verses two and three, reflecting back on this period and this particular riot. So the crowd grabbed two of Paul's team to flush him out, and it almost worked. Paul makes mention of fighting beasts at Ephesus. This is what he's referring to, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 32. The beast here were people acting like animals, ferocious, just wanting to rip him to shreds for no reason and building it all on a lie. And again, this is what uh, was being referred to by Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. And Gaius is mentioned in Romans 16, 23 and 1 Corinthians 1, 14. Aristarchus is mentioned in Acts chapter 20 and verse 4 and also Acts chapter 27 and verse 2. He's also mentioned in Colossians, Philemon. Aristarchus was a great man of God, as was Gaius in these verses of Scripture, but they were companions of Paul. They haven't been mentioned up until now, but they've been part of Paul's team. We always need a great team operating with us, just like my partners operate with me, just like Jesus had disciples around him. And Paul had a team that ministered with him and learned the ministry from him and after a while went into their own ministries. So when they took the two men into the amphitheater, the mob had reached a fever pitch, shouting and shouting, great is Diana of the Ephesians. A mob always has to have an organizer behind it which uses the mob as a weapon. I'm going to say that again. Mobs always have an organizer behind them, which uses the mob as a weapon. All you do is fill them with emotion and frenzy without giving them any facts. And this is what happened. Why? These people were being used as pawns. They react quickly and then forget why they're rioting. Here's the important thing. Probably, I can tell you this, Demetrius was not part of that. He was up in some building somewhere watching out of a window at what was going on, and he distanced himself from what was going on that way. When people are arrested, the police come in, uh, perhaps the military might come in to stop all this going on. He would not be a part of it and even could say, I wasn't even there. No, he started it. He pushed these people out, and they were his weapon fighting while he stood back and watched it from a window somewhere. And so, again, these people have reacted quickly. All you got to do is tell them they're going to lose their jobs, their income, their family's going to be torn apart. Uh, we might end up in poverty. Our great city's going to go downhill. We'll be known around the world as a city that used to be. And now all of a sudden the people have got it and running out into the streets in a frenzy, yelling, great is Diana of the Ephesians. Look at verse 30. And when Paul wanted to enter into the people, Paul saw what was going on, saw that his friends, Gaius and Aristarchus, were being dragged in there. Paul wanted to go somehow and help and thought, you know, in his, in his uh, you know, wonderful attitude toward God and thinking the best of people, thought, I can go in there and stop this thing. And so, again, uh, in that verse of Scripture, it says in verse 30, when Paul wanted to enter into the people, this is into the riot, the disciples would not allow him. They were thinking quick. Uh, correctly. Paul, don't 
don't go there. We've seen these kind of mobs before and Paul, they're gonna rip you to shreds. You won't even get a chance to speak before they probably kill you and drag you out of town. And they don't really care. They don't care about the ones that actually do kill you and might get thrown into prison for it, you know, or, or actually executed themselves. All they care about is one thing, Paul is finally gone. The center of what they see is the one who started this whole thing. But what they don't realize is Paul started it. Paul's about to leave town. He even said this in the verses before this, but he's about to leave town realizing something. This, this, this revival has taken on an energy of its own. I'm not needed anymore. I was here to get the ball rolling. Now that the ball is rolling, I'm going to step back and go do the other things I've been intending to do. For three years, Paul was in Ephesus getting this revival going and operating by the power and anointing of the Holy Spirit. Now churches are going to be taking over. So Paul again wanted to speak to the crowd. The disciples saw the frenzy and knew Paul would be killed before he could even speak. Look at verse 31. And certain of the chiefs of Asia, the Greek word here is Asiarchs, who were his friends, sent to him desiring him that he would not enter into the theater. These are the leaders of the Ephesian government in the city. Let me tell you who these were. These were people who started attending the meeting and they were upper leaders in the low, in the, it might've been the mayor and other ones of the city, leaders of the nation around it in Asia were coming and this thing had spread everywhere. And many of these that were chief leaders of the city were now born again and they were friends of Paul. And notice it says in verse 31, certain of the chiefs of the Asiarchs who were Paul's friends sent to him desiring that he would not enter into the theater. What they're saying is, Paul, we've seen this before. Paul had found friends in high places. He didn't try to. It's just the gospels for everybody. So not only were the people on the streets saved, homeless people, not only were families saved and children saved and moms and dads saved, not only were business people saved, but also those in government positions had found Jesus as Lord and Savior. And when they saw what was going on, they knew the right way to handle this was because these people were breaking the law. They had to come in with the law. And these were the exact people to do it. So again, Paul had found friends in high places. These are born again, spirit-filled aristocrats, powerful in the government of Ephesus, who were now saved under Paul's ministry and were gonna protect him from the mob, but they also knew this was not a matter for Paul to handle, but for the authorities. Folks, there has to come time where we realize God has established law and order. God has established the law. And because some law uh, enforcers are actually law breakers, doesn't mean we, tur we turn our back on the government. No, we in chapter 13 of Romans are supposed to honor those in those positions even though some of them are not acting as God intended or that we want them to act or voting the way we want, we don't just dismiss them. No, we still respect their authority. There have been presidents in our country, and I've told this to our congregation, presidents in our country who were against God, against the church, against morality. But I've told people, I said, if they ever walked into this service, I would expect you to stand up in honor of the president of the United States or of the governor of our state or of the mayor of our city, even though you may not agree with them, you are to honor the position they have because God honors the position they have. People come and people go, but the position remains the same. Sometimes great leaders are there, sometimes not. So in verse 32, it says, I love this verse of scripture. Some therefore cried one thing and some another. They've been shouting, great is Diana of the Ephesians. And after a while, other cries start coming in. Notice this, for the assembly was confused. Welcome to riots. It's confusion. And the greater part did not know why they had come together. In fact, many of them were probably paid to be there. 
I was in Russia one time. The pastor was telling me as there was a protest going on down the street. He said, most of these aren't even from here. They're brought in from other countries and they're being paid by the unions to shout these mantras when they don't even know what they're saying. And notice again, the greater part didn't know why they had come together. And in verse 33, they drew Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews pushing him forward. Alexander beckoned with his hand and would have made his defense to the people. The people didn't even know why they were there and suddenly were crying one thing or another thing, probably looking at each other going, why are we here? I don't know, just keep yelling. And they kept yelling, great is Diana of the Ephesians. And finally, they drew in some people out of the multitude. The Jews pushed him forward. Alexander beckoned with his hand and would have made his defense to the people. So here, what happens is religion is always afraid of mobs, but will use them even if necessary. Alexander is an excellent lawyer. The Jews hoped that he would steal the mob, but he failed when the crowd recognized he was a Jew. Actually, his own nationality came against him. We will continue this tomorrow and finish it, but then go right on to chapter 20 and start talking about the importance of the local church after revival has waned. See you tomorrow. You can order resources, become a partner, or browse free articles and podcasts by visiting our website at bobyandian.com. You can also join our mailing list and receive weekly devotions and the latest ministry updates. If you would like to contact Bob Yandian Ministries, visit bobyandian.com and click on Contact. To contact us by mail, use the address on your screen. Thank you for watching today's broadcast. We'll see you next time on Student of the Word with Bob Yandian.